THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Hacha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 522 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. Nerds, my name is Matt Bob. And I am the Internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's episode, we're reviewing eight of Wednesday, March 13th's new comics with spotlight reviews on Assassination number one and Calamity Kate number one. I tried to get you to say Assassination Nation. Yeah, we, are, we went through it. this last week. God damn it. <laughs> then it's down to the teaching Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're attempting to remote view some March Madness winners. And, of course, we're rapping about our must-read picks for next Wednesday. And finally, it was International Ladies Night last week. No, I don't think that's what it's called. <laughs> ladies Night. Ladies Night. Whoa. Ladies Night. So, get ready for the THN Nerd at the Movies review of Captain Marvel. But before we start nerdsplaining why your favorite comics and movies suck, we better talk about this week's Nerd News! After more than two decades, artist Mike Diodato Jr. has announced that he is leaving Marvel Comics following his work on the upcoming Savage Avengers title. Full stop. Do you care at all? Nah. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> really. I don't care. <laughs> uh, He's a perfectly talented guy. Sure, you know. Since the news of Diodato's departure came out, Dark Horse Comics has announced Berserker Unleashed, a new creator-owned series from writer Jeff Lemire with art from Diodato and colorist Frank Martin. I care about that. I definitely care about that. Or rather, here's Dark Horse's official description of the series. Berserker Unbound kicks off with a merciless sword-wielding warrior. Okay, are we unleashed or are we unbound? We're unbound. You said unleashed earlier. Yeah, it's weird. They call it two different things. All right. Berserker so I, Unleashed Unbound. There you go. Yeah, Berserker. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I, maybe it's Unbound Berserker Unleashed. I think it's un, Unbound Unleashed. Berserker Unbound Unleashed. That wouldn't make sense. Unleashed Unbound is the only way that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You have to be unleashed before you can be unbound. Berserker Unleashed that Unbound. That might not even be, that doesn't make sense. No, I'm no, saying Unleash is around, the, around you your neck. You have to be unbound and then you can be unleashed. He's unbound. Oh, he's unleashed. You know? Okay. Berserker Unbound Unleashed. There we go. It's All right. Settled. <laughs> Whew. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Merciless sword-wielding warrior thrown through a wormhole to a modern-day metropolis. Our hero quickly realizes that he must protect this new world from an evil wizard. Evil. Who will stop at nothing to send him and this new world to hell. Uh, so basically, it's like, what if Conan was right. transported to the modern-day Marvel right. universe? It's that uh, that Conan uh, what if where he had the magnum. Yeah, he's got the gun, he's right? He's like Dirty Harry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Sounds fun. Who did that Conan What If? Uh, I don't know, but I know that it's got a Bill Sienkiewicz cover. Right. I believe. Yeah. But I don't know. I've never actually read it. Okay. But yeah, new Jeff Lemire book. I love Jeff Lemire. Uh, interesting that Diodato is checking out. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Marvel has been his yeah. main paycheck for a long time. And he's got to be a well-paid guy. I... So we make fun of Mike Diodato. Mike Diodato is a very talented artist. His art has its ups and downs. It has its ups and downs. Right. There are people that love him, that worship him. And I don't know. I think it's cool that he's willing to go do something more creator-owned like this. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great. I, I, good for him. It's a good opportunity. And to work with Jeff Lemire, that's 
got to be kick ass. Yes. So, so I'm congratulations, Mike. All the best. Mm-hmm. Hope it's a success. I'll definitely be reading it. In Hollywood news, Brian K. Period Vaughn had signed on to write Legendary's live action Gundam film. <laughs> Awesome. According to The Hollywood Reporter, I'm just reading this for the first time. Legendary is co-producing the film with the franchise's owner, Sunrise. A Gundam appeared briefly in Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One. I freaked out. It was the RX-78. It showed up to fight Mechagodzilla, which had me squirming around in my seat like a little kid. Back in December 2017, Vaughn signed a first-look exclusive deal with Legendary for the adaption of his comic book work as well as other projects such as Gundam. Yeah. Vaughn previously wrote Giant Robots with his creator-owned series, We Stand on Guard. It was fucking great. It is. Legendary has no release date. This is coming down the pipe. There is no reason why we can't have a kick-ass Gundam movie. There just isn't. Yeah, I mean... There's plenty of reasons why we can't have a kick-ass Transformers movie, but there's no reason. We did get a kick-ass Transformers movie in Bumblebee. I still haven't seen it. It's very good. That's I know. First of all, yeah, man, give me a giant, give me a like Pacific Rim came out. They've already done it. Yeah, give me a giant robot Rim, movie. While it was fun, it was not by any means great. Well, certainly not. <laughs> and the second one was terrible. It's just a good time. I haven't seen the second one. Terrible. I haven't seen oh. the second one. The second one just looked like they didn't even finish it. It was like, hey, uh, kids, look at this video game that's coming out that we're not quite done with. Mm. And by the way, you can't play it. <laughs> you just watch it. That stinks. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm totally into this. Uh, Brian K. Vaughn have at it uh it is kind of weird the to think of him open. as this as this hollywood writer but yeah I, I guess he has been for the floodgates some are open. years now yeah i mean we're getting uh why last man and now we're getting gundam like assume paper girls is next so. his hit creator owned work gundam yeah yeah <laughs> back in the comics world writer jason aaron's upcoming war of the realms crossover event has been building since he first began writing thor god of thunder in 2012 that's about like 18 years ago, something, something like that. Something like that, yeah. At least 10. Mm-hmm. Now, Aaron has signaled on Twitter that the culmination of his run in War of the Realms may also be its end. Here's a quote. My Thor run began in 2012 with God of Thunder number one. Since then, I've written 80-something Thor issues across multiple series. I like that he doesn't know. 80-something. <laughs> and it's all been it's building. a lot, okay? It's yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's all been building towards the War of the Realms. Needless to say, I'll be looking to go out with a bang. Thanks for reading along the way. War of the Realms number one is due out April 3rd. Matt. This also sounds like he might be killing himself. Is Jason Aaron leaving Thor? I'm like, there it is, kids. It's over. Bang! <laughs> Going out with a bang, Jason Aaron. Uh, yeah. That's not funny. I mean, he's been, all things come to an end. How long is this guy really supposed to do it? Nah, I don't know. I mean, it, it happens. People don't stay on comics forever, I mean, forever, it's only Joe. been 80-something issues. Doesn't he have 80-something more issues in He's him? got the longest Thor run in the history of the title. Yeah, so he has nothing left fair. to prove. It has been absolutely wonderful. He's got to have other projects he wants to work on. It's true. A bigger question is, who the hell do you get to replace Jason Aaron? On that is what I'm wondering. I think maybe you just go, all right, you know what? We're going to take a break. Thor's going to take a break until we find the right person. Might be a year. Sure. Might be 10 years. Thor will be around. He's in the Avengers. He's doing shit. Yeah, right. But don't just go, ladies and gentlemen, Cullen Bunn is your new Thor writer. Uh, no offense. Because he'll take any job. No offense to Cullen Bunn. <laughs> no, we love Cullen Bunn, but that's the thing. Like, Marvel likes to just go, hey, Cullen. And he goes, I'm in. Don't even tell me. I'm in. They're like, yeah, okay, yeah. you got Thor. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I just don't know who Marvel has currently. Although his Asgardians of the Galaxy is really good. 
Does he write that? Yeah, it's really good. Maybe he should write Thor. Mm, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be tough. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, you, I agree. He is a presence on Thor. Like him or hate him. Right. I mean, people literally read that book just to hate it. They hate read some of it. And everyone else who was right and not a jerk loved the book. So I have no idea how they replaced Thor. That's got to have Marvel terrified. But they also had to have known it was coming. 80 goddamn issues. Sure, right. Sooner or later, the guy's going to die. I, I think that the I think that the lead time on news like this uh, is is a lot bigger than we think. Like we see it reported in the news as right. though it happened instantly. But like right. Mike Diodato said, he told Marvel a year ago, right, that he was planning on wrapping up. Yeah, so they have to know. I mean, it's I know I constantly go back to wrestling, but we get this like it's the kayfabe side where like we can't tell everybody that he's leaving because we're building this big thing. And we don't want to lose steam on that, and mm-hmm. you know. This is how the business works now. We had the internet ruined everything. So Jason Aaron, uh, so I think the, my life. the only answer is for I Jason Aaron. Fucking hate myself. To, are you okay? I was thinking something. I'm just sorry. Different subject. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only uh, the only solution is for Jason Aaron to retire his persona as a Dark Avenger of the Undead and rebrand himself as American Badass, like the Undertaker. Yeah, that didn't work out really well though. Oh. He went back to... Oh. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, all right. Here's another question. What does Aaron do next? Whatever he wants. More Marvel stuff? Jason Aaron could do whatever he wants. He's not leaving Avengers anytime soon. Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. I mean, maybe he's just going to focus on more Avengers titles. I don't know. But he can do whatever he wants. Mm. He's got, got like three Conan books already. Mm. It's true. That is your nerd news for the week, but I'll bet we missed a ton of other stories while we were busy uh, getting our Captain Marvel boycott petitions out on the net. So hit us up on the THN. Are we pissed, are we pissed about it? Uh, we're pretending to be pissed just, oh, okay. to, just to leave. I love the people that are pissed about it. Like, what are you mad about? You fucking idiot. She's a girl? Yeah. That's what you're mad about? Uh, She's even a white girl. I thought you guys liked white people. There's a black girl in it too, man. Oh, wait. What? Yeah. <laughs> so hit us up in the... Uh, with a white person? Yeah, together on screen. Oh, come on. So hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section, or better yet, tune in to Cover to Cover Live every Saturday where we broadcast on our Facebook page from 1130 to 1230 Central Standard Time. It is, why do you always do this to me? Write the damn joke. So, but this joke writes itself. It's like sports talk for nerds. You control the content and it's whites only. So call us. No. 402. No. <laughs> do not put that energy out into the world. So call us at 402-819. not whites only. No. Okay? God. Safe space for everyone. So call us at 402-819-4894 or click the call now button on our Facebook page. If you can't be there live, leave a message or send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. We got three MP3s just this week. Oh, shit. Uh, some of them may have been voicemails, but either way, it's all good. Oh, okay. It's spotlight review time in the ziggurat where Matt and I continue to kowtow to social justice warrior creators taking our marching orders directly from our empowered female leader, Gail Simone. Matt, since I'm obviously the beta male to your theta male, yeah. isn't theta farther down? Yeah, third. Oh, okay. So you're being polite. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, why don't you start us off this week? Thank you, Joe. That's yeah. very sweet of you. My review this week is of Calamity Kate. Number one, it's from Dark Horse. It's written by Magdalene Visaggio with art by Corin Howell. Colorist Valentina Pinto and letterer 
Zach Sam. Here is your solicit. Holy calamity, scream insanity. Are you ever going to be another great fan of me? Kate Strand reboots her destructive life and moves to L.A. to be the superhero she always wanted to be. Calamity Kate, gun-toting monster killer. With her latest career change, she faces new challenges, relationships, and competition. Desperate to show she's worth a damn in a world overrun by zombies, vampires, demons, goblins, Debo goblins, and the ultimate monster bounty, the seven fabled beasts of yore. I'm not going to read all that. My suggested soundtrack goes to the first Runaways album, Queens of Noise from 1977. It totally rips. Picture Buffy the Vampire Slayer, a franchise dark horse just lost, coincidentally, Mm. with red hair, piercings, tattoos, and a filthy mouth. You pretty much have Calamity Kate. Visaggio set up Kate's world as one very similar to ours, except it's crawling with monsters. Sort of like Buffy's. Except everybody knows about it. Here, Kate shows up at an old friend's place in suburban California. Hey, didn't Buffy live in the California suburbs, too? She, yes, Looking to couch surf for a while and take out some local monsters, of course. Unlike Buffy, the public seems to be painfully aware of the monster menace and takes joy in treating monster hunters like celebrities as they carry out their exterminations in public. While Kate wasn't unlikable, there also Mm. wasn't a whole lot to like. Mm. Obviously, not every female monster hunter should be compared to Buffy, and I'm not saying Visaggio is ripping anything off. But she goes out of her way to give the script a very quippy and somewhat funny Joss Whedon vibe, too. Corin Howell has a very cool style that reminds me of what I love about creators like Phil Hester and Matt Wagner. She fills her pages with rage and violence, but also does a nice job with cute scenes like when a mom and her child fist bump here and there. it could be said that I'm just a typical male reducing this book to a Buffy knockoff, but there were so many elements here that reminded me of the Slayer, I couldn't help it. Calamity Kate is a lighthearted read starring a capable monster hunter, but I'm going to need to read more here before I can call myself invested. I'm giving it a skim it. I'm not a fan of Magdalene Visaggio. I don't think I am either. But Magdalene Visaggio, she she wrote uh, Kim and Kim. She wrote another book we reviewed a few months back that you liked a lot better than I did. Um, I've just I've never really clicked with any of the things that she's done. Yeah, I don't. I didn't really make the Buffy comparison other than the other than the setting. You know, I thought it was different enough. She's you know she, Buffy was kind of burdened by her sure uh, thing, and Kate revels in it. Yeah, and everybody knows about monsters. It's kind of. It's a different world. It's almost like, okay, to me it felt like sort of what if Buffy was a sitcom. Okay. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, but yeah, it just it just didn't click with me. I thought yeah. the art was decent, um, and I it had nice moments. Like, I liked the mother-daughter dynamic, mm-hmm. but I found myself relating more to the friend who was like, what the fuck? Right. Because <laughs> Kate is, uh, I thought Kate was unlikable. She was kind of an idiot, too. Yeah. They painted her as she kind was of a an moron. asshole. Like I'm going to drag this giant dead monster into my friend's kitchen, and that's not going to be an issue, right? Like, is, yeah. she, is she a moron? Right, and, and so like maybe that's the point is that she's kind of clueless in I that suppose. way. But I just I didn't dig it. I'm giving it a skimmit as well because it, I did have nice moments and I liked the art. Joe Patrick, since I'm the theta male to your beta male, yeah, I will now let you overpower me and go ahead. All right. <laughs> I am reviewing Assassin Nation, number one from Image Comics, written by Kyle Starks, with art by Erica Henderson. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. The world's former greatest hitman hires the 20 best assassins in the world to be his bodyguards. These mean-as-hell hired guns and murderers must work together to keep the new crime boss safe. 
while attempting to solve the mystery of who's trying to off him. Whoa. Yeah. When you hear that the creator of Sex Castle is coming out with a new series about an army of assassins, you know you're probably in for something pretty wild. Rankin, no first name given, wants the world, maybe that is his first name, once the world's greatest assassin becomes the target of an assassination plot himself. His own security team is no help, so naturally he does the only logical thing. He tries to hire the rest of the world's top 20 hitmen to save his ass. Perfect. Putting 20 gun-toning lunatics in the same room goes about as well as you might expect, and hilarity ensues. Rankin is the most fleshed out of the characters we meet this issue. He's casting kind of the classic Rat Pack, tough guy movie role. Uh, kind of like a... Uh, uh, Parker, you know, Rat Pack. Richard Stark's. Movie. Yeah, he was kind of like old school. You never saw any Rat Pack movies, did you? I meant that kind of style. They that weren't like, detectives. It wasn't noir at all. Rat Pack movies. I didn't were say comedies. detective. <laughs> Matt, <laughs> they weren't all comedies, and yeah. I didn't say detective at all. The They're Rat Pack men. movies were all comedies. Okay, fine. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Most of the rest of the cast uh, is played for laughs. And they're given names like Smush Walker and Fuck Tarkington, <laughs> uh, who is a hillbilly idiot whose father, quote, wanted a boy named Sue situation, but didn't want his son to sound too gay. <laughs> I can't wait to learn more about the bunch that survive after the smoke clears. Now, I am a big fan of Erica Henderson. The former Squirrel Girl artist draws with a wonderfully expressive animated style that seems at odds with the brutal tone of the story, but... The contrast totally works. The almost neon color palette is heavy on bright pinks, yellows, and blues, and it really makes the art come alive. Letterer Darren Bennett kills it, pun intended, with a mix of traditional and hilarious hand-drawn sound effects that I am going to milk for onomatopoeias of the week. (laughs) They are good. For a couple of weeks at least. Assassination number one is a delightful mix of absurd characters and ultra violence and a total love letter to classic action comedy movies. I absolutely loved it. It gets a buy it. Yeah. Anywhere else, this would be a dour, super serious, dark, just like boring as hell violent comic book. But you can take this kind of ridiculous premise and give it to a guy like Kyle Starks and he's just going to make it absolutely insane and a ton of fun. I loved it as well. Huge buy it for me. So that is a double buy it for Assassination number one and a double skim it for Calamity Kate number one. We'll post our written reviews over at twoitinner.com so alpha males everywhere can look upon them and laugh. Daylight savings time is wreaking havoc on the cigarette systems with Molag showing up both an hour early and an hour late to grease the gears. This abominable machine? Joe, we live in the dark. Why do we even change the damn clocks? Crap, what was that? I don't know, but we better get down to engineering quick and find out when we race through the ziggurat access tunnels. It's time to review eight more of this week's new comics during the ludicrous speed round. Ludicrous speed, go! Star Trek Discovery, Captain Saru, one shot from... IDW. Everyone's favorite new Star Trek alien gets his own one-shot written by Kristen Beyer and Mike Johnson. The story is pitch perfect as usual, which will make any Discovery fan feel right at home. That show is so good. It's so good. The art by Angel Hernandez walks that perfect line of illustrating the character's likeness without photo referencing and captures the look and feel of the show perfectly with all of that said. At a $7.99 price tag, this issue is probably only for hardcore fans. 
which I just happen to be, so I'm giving it a bite. I mean, it's probably thicker, right? 48 pages. Yeah, you've banged this drum before. Transformers number one from IDW. This series I'll reboot. Bang you, Mister. Yeah, this series reboot takes us back in Cybertron's history before the war between the Autobots and the Decepticons, when Orion, don't call me Optimus, Pax, and Mega, still Megatron, Tron, are friends struggling with different ideologies. We see the world through the eyes of a newly forged Cybertronian named Rubble, who wanders into more trouble than he's prepared for. New writer Brian Ruckley maintains the strong character work and socio-political intrigue that past series were known for. Artists Angel Hernandez. Look at this! And Cachet Whitman do an admirable job on the visuals with maybe a slightly more anime influence. This was a great first issue that sets up a lot of interesting plot threads and a nice jumping on point for readers curious about IDW's Transformers universe. I'm giving it a bite. I kind of can't believe they have the balls to do this. I'm giving it a bite as well. It was great. Little Bird, number one from Image. From page one, Ian Bertram's art grabs you and does not let go. He has got a style somewhere between James Stokoe and Farrell Darlarimple, but with even more depth to his panels. Darcy Van Polgeist's, no way I'm saying that right, story. Darcy Von Poltergeist. Takes place in a future United States dominated by religious zealots looking to stomp out a pocket of Canadian resistance. The book is equal parts Mobius meets Frank quietly in this violent, visceral look at rebellion. I can't believe how good this was. You got any more uh, artists you want to compare it to? I could throw a bunch more. Raphael, in there, Grandpa? Like, Little Bird. Absolutely. Hey. That's a good one. Little Bird number one is the best comic that I have read this year so far. No shit. I'm giving it a five. Wow. It was amazing. <laughs> Batman Who Laughs, The Grim Knight, number one from DC. Everything about that title is dark. Yeah, sure scary. is. Yeah, right. <laughs> Eduardo Rizzo joins writers Scott Snyder and James Tinian the Four for this origin story one-shot about yet another murderous Batman from yet another murderous Dark Dimension. This character is basically Frank Miller's Dark Knight crossed with the Punisher. The tweaks to the classic origin are interesting, and Rizzo's art is tremendous. Coupled with the beautiful colors of Dave Stewart, there are these painted sections that are really beautiful. I haven't read it. This wasn't a bad read, but I'm just tired of the whole dark Batman stick. I'm just I'm over it. I'm giving the Grim Knight number one a strong skim it because it is executed very well. Fair enough. Age of Conan, Belit number one from Marvel. The Conan titles just keep coming at Marvel, and while Teeny Howard's story has all the spunk I expected from the young pirate princess, the art by Kate Ninchek just didn't work for me. She is a perfectly good artist, but her style just doesn't lend itself to this tale of pirate fantasy. Hmm. Again, she is not bad, but her style is just too clean to give the book the swashbuckling classic fantasy feel that it needs. I like this first issue of Elite, but I can only give it a skip. Murder Falcon, number six from Image. I love this series from writer-artist Daniel Warren Johnson so much. In this issue, things seem bleak as the armies of Magnum Chaos wreak havoc across the planet, and one member of Bruticus (laughs) pays the ultimate sacrifice I am stunned that a comic book about a rock band fighting giant monsters with the power of metal pack so much depth and sincerity. It packs. It packs. It packs it even. (laughs) Johnson's writing pays loving tribute to the power of music and its art is just outstanding. Murder Falcon is my favorite book at Image right now. No hesitation. Buy it. I got to catch up. I'm three issues behind. Great. Uncanny X-Men, Winter's End, one-shot from Marvel. Iceman is visited by his future self, who has come to warn him that he's going to fall in love with Dakin in the future. Oh, my God. And help to bring about the end of the galaxy. Yuck. The two are mutually exclusive. 
The story is too long, can't decide if it wants to be funny or dour, and the art, it's just bad. This is a completely throwaway X story and a perfectly good chance to save $5 or spend it on a wonderful title like Little Bird, number one. Leave it. Yeah, this is literally like we paid the creators for two more issues of Iceman. away but garbage. Could not afford to keep it going. The Magnificent Miss Marvel, number one from Marvel. Ms. Marvel is back, even though she never really left. Writer Saladin Ahmed proves himself a worthy successor to G. Willow Wilson and the art by Minkyu Young. Yeah, it's nice. But I really loved the style of cover artist Eduard Petrovich and found myself wondering how the book would look if he had drawn it. With its focus you on- You got a problem Minkyu all of a sudden? No, no, no. The art is good. <laughs> the art is good. It's just that the cover was so great. With its focus on lighthearted heroics, friendships, and family drama, Magnificent Ms. Marvel doesn't break the mold created by previous volumes. And that's a good thing in my book. I'm giving it a buy. That is your ludicrous speed round in. Wait, two. I think it's more like what two? Oh, I see like the W H W H H. Two H's, yeah. Like <laughs> whip. Where are you going? Say that again. Whip. Why have you done this? <laughs> it's the sound of two unicorns clashing horns. I see. Is it as seen in the pages? It is. Of Titans Volume Five, the trade paperback. I need more than that. What Volume Five? Like of the, the current one? series, yeah. Okay, okay. Fine, fine. This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Stately Lord Fungus via the Twitters. He must have mailed it three weeks ago because it came all the way from Britain. Yeah, on a slow boat. Jeez. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can mount your unicorn and charge our way, or you can hit us up on any of our social media, or you can shoot us an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. And yes, that is a run-on sentence. <laughs> yeah, it was. I'm glad you recognize it. Welcome to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Joe and I have given up studying stats and Vegas odds for the NCAA March Madness Tournament, and instead, we're using our remote viewing skills to take a peek at my wife's picks, because no shit, she wants one of friends and family bracket challenge four goddamn years in a row. I shit you not. Yeah, it's true. Ugh, Joe! I just burst a blood vessel in my eye. Are you I think. on the toilet? Well, it sounds like you're on the toilet. That is where you remote view from oh, the toilet. Okay, Everybody knows that. Why don't we just take a break and remote view some of our must-read picks for next week instead? My pick for next week is Invisible Kingdom number one from Dark Horse Comics Burger Books imprint, written by G. Willow Wilson with art by Christian Ward. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. I feel like G. Willow Wilson has a name that demands to be sung. G. Willow Wilson. G. Willow Wilson. Set in a far-flung star system, this new epic sci-fi monthly saga tells the tale of two women, a young religious acolyte and a hard-bitten freighter pilot who separately uncover a vast conspiracy between the leader of the system's dominant religion and the mega corporation that controls society. What does this remind you of? What's going on? (laughs) It reminds me of something. What does it remind you of? America. Oh, okay, it reminds sure. me of America. It's allegory. Jesus. On the run from reprisals on both sides, this unlikely pair of rebels risk plunging the world into anarchy if they reveal the truth. But when your beliefs betray you, what choice is there left? Man. Hugo Man. award-winning blah 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 yeah, Eisner award-winning blah 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 bloop This sounds huge and crazy and big. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, big space uh, space opera stuff from G. Willow Wilson. And as worried as we've been about Dark Horse losing a bunch of titles, we just did a story about Mike Diodato coming there. We got G. Willow Wilson over there. Maybe Dark Horse has shit. They got the Orville comic license. Yeah, come on. They're fine. It ain't nothing. <laughs> I mean, maybe they're, Maybe things aren't as bad as we thought. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they got shit in the works. I hope mm, they do. I hope they do, too. Uh, I love G. Willow Wilson. Christian Ward is a beast. Uh, so good. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. I think it sounds super fun. Matt, what's your pick? Joe Patrick. Both of our books star ladies. Oh, Believe shit. This? I pick Lazarus. How did we do? How did we <laughs> make this happen? This is ridiculous. My pick is Lazarus Risen. I was going to make a joke, but I lost it. All right. My pick is Lazarus Risen. The number of, one. The theme of this entire show is history. But I lost it. <laughs> Lazarus Risen, number one from Image. It's written by Greg Rucka with art by Michael Lark. It is 64 pages. Wow. For $7.99. Hey, it's not bad. That doesn't Here's seem bad. New story art. Fracture. One. Part one. Fracture I. Fracture one. Part one. Fracture one. Part one. Yeah, I don't know. Lazarus returns in an all-new prestige format, new series, new story arc, new size. New size. Yeah, it's big. And uh, I think they mean 64-ish pages. Not, not like dimension-wise. It's thick. It's not big. It's thick. And a new quarterly schedule, including a new ongoing Lazarus series at 64 pages, perfect bound. What does that mean? Uh, it's the bound? it's the type of stitching. Oh, okay. Or uh, I think uh, like prestige format, like okay, like the old. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When they was like glued in there, kind of like square bound corners. Cool. Yeah. Lazarus Risen continues the story of Forever and the Carlisle family, featuring an oversized forty-four page story by Eisner winners Greg Rucka and Michael Lark, and an all new short story explaining the larger world of Lazarus by Eisner nominated writer Lila Sturgis. I don't know who that is. An all new supplement to the modern age. World of Lazarus role-playing game by Green Ronin. I guess that's a person? Original design artifacts. Company, probably Green Ronin. Maybe? Would be my guess. Okay, yeah, yeah, I hope so. Because if your name is Green Ronin, that's like, you got your ass kicked. <laughs> Original design artifacts and art supplements and more. Two years have passed since the Carlisle family was betrayed in battle and the Conclave War encroaches on every side. As a new end dawns, Joanna Carlisle goes on the attack to ensure the survival of her family, relying on loyalty and the support of the Carlisle Lazarus, her sister. Forever remaining at her side, and while the united front may be enough to turn the tide, the cracks are beginning to show. It has been a while since we've had a Lazarus book. There is a Lazarus series coming. I want to say it was Amazon, is that right? Yeah, maybe. It a while ago. I it think was it was Amazon. Ago, yeah, right. the, apparently, there's a huge push for this Lazarus role-playing game that I'm curious to try out as well. If you've tried it, I'd love to hear from you. I love this book. It sounds like they're doing sort of like what Headlopper did, where they're going to do big issues, and it'll come out like four times a year, basically. And That's what quarterly of, means, yeah. Oh, is that what that means? Mm -hmm. Oh, I thought that meant they were going to put it out in fourths, and you assembled the book. <laughs> like a puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love Lazarus. And it's a bl it's blind bag like trading cards. Right, right, So you right. might get a double. God damn it. I keep getting the I top already have left this corner. <laughs> Joe Patrick, what's the trade of the week? Jesus, this got away from us. Lila Sturges. She wrote Jack of Fables. Oh, yeah. Used to be Matthew Sturges. Oh. I, I did not know that was a thing. Yeah. We've, she, okay. we've mentioned her on the show many times. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Matthew Sturges is now Lila Sturges. Correct. Okay. All right. For a couple years now. Good for you, Maddie. Yeah. Lila. 
Right, there you go. The THN trade of the week is Vampironica Volume 1 trade paperback. That's one weird to say that. Vampironica. <laughs> <laughs> it's from Archie Comics, written by Megan and Greg Smallwood, with art by Greg Smallwood. The THN trade of the week also features a woman. Oh, my God. It's, we, like, we legit did not plan this. Yeah, this is just like... <laughs> White male guilt. Hey. Sorry, ladies. We love you. Oh, it's 144 <laughs> pages back, for $17.99. Hey, <laughs> I wish every book featured ladies. When Veronica Lodge is bitten by a centuries-old vampire, her thirst for blood threatens to turn Riverdale into a haven for the undead. Will she put an end to the vampire threat or give in to her bloodlust? Archie Horror's latest series paints Riverdale red in the vampiric first collection by siblings. Oh, I didn't know they were siblings. I thought they were married. Greg and Meg Smallwood. It collects Vampironica. Why can I not too. say that right? I don't know. Every time Vampirella. It's like Vampirella, <laughs> but with Annika at the end. Vampironica. There. Vampironica. Issues one through five. Uh, yeah, I guess I don't know why I just assumed that they were a married couple, but I thought they were too. I don't know. I think it's just we think it's cute when married couples work together. Yeah. You know. And whenever it's like two dudes, we're like, oh, they're father and son. Even if they're like brothers or cousins. Boy, our, our biases are just all over the place. Uh, Vampironica is great. It's fantastic. It's so good. Yeah, we reviewed it and we loved it. And Greg Smallwood's art is unbelievable. Yeah, Greg Smallwood is another one of those guys where he came out of the gate super strong. Yeah. And then he just got better. And I don't know how. And I'm not artistically talented enough to explain why. Sure. But every time I see him, my God, he I, is better. Like, Vampironica is wonderful. I think I I love it, but I'm just stunned that he is not some like on a huge title doing something. I mean, crazy. I think these Archie titles are pretty big, and Archie's getting a lot of attention right now. And they're bringing like, I mean, with Sabrina, and there's rumors of what's that other not Afterlife with Archie, Katie Keen. Uh, yeah, they're making a Katie Keen Katie Riverdale Keen spinoff. Also, like, there's huge shit going on in Archie. Yeah. I don't think this is a small gig. They're bringing the more TV horror stuff. to the TV. Oh yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. yeah. They're bringing more horror to the TV stuff. They're bringing more horror. Hard-hitting reporting. To the TV stuff. THN. This is why they tune in weekly. So there you have our picks for Wednesday, March 20th. We want to know what you nerds are excited to reading too. Nice writing, Matt. God almighty. So please psychically project your picks at our brains. Or if you don't want to risk, you know, blowing up blood vessels in your eyes, you can just hit us on any of our social media platforms. But please... Make sure to add all your pics to your pull files is the easiest way to help your local comic shop live to see another day. Do you also have to be on the toilet to psychically project? Yeah. Hmm. Everything psychic happens on toilets. That is how it works. You clench real hard and I've, you force the psychic feelings out. I've been doing it way wrong. That's why I have psychic hemorrhoids. <laughs> Okay. Pushing, pushing too hard. That's the title of the episode. Psychic hemorrhoids. <laughs>Matt, we find ourselves almost 12 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and finally, we have their first female-fronted film. Captain Marvel hit theaters this past weekend, and that means it's time for another edition of Nerd at the Movies. Now, in keeping with our... No spoilers. No, no, no. We spoil it in this. Oh, that's right. We can we do. spoil it here. We can yeah, spoil yeah. it here. If you don't want to be spoiled for Captain Marvel, throw your phone in the toilet. Yeah, cancel your subscription to this show now, and never come back. Please come back. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Please come back in about 10 minutes. Done and done. Well, Joe, it seems that all the trolls were right. 
this movie completely bombed and yeah, no it, one cared. It only made $450 million worldwide. Turns out the world is done with the social justice warrior bullshit. And Women are canceled. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. Pack it up. No, there was, there, there was a lot of fake criticism out there. And then there was some real criticism. And we'll get into that. Sure. But let's just start with Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. How do you feel? I loved it. I loved no Brie Larson. Yeah, I loved her. I, I thought she was great. Okay, you said I loved it. Now I was talking about a person. I, I loved the casting. I realize you don't think women are people. Oh my god! <laughs> I guess I asked her that one. Uh, no, I thought she did great. Uh, I saw a lot of people. Uh, it's weird because a lot of my friends and pe- people on the show, mm-hmm. if you may recall from cover to cover, were kind of split about the movie. I don't think anybody was split on her. Yes, yeah, some people, a lot of people said that she was kind of bland, and I don't agree. I don't either. I thought that she played into the, uh, so here the story of Carol's uh the Carol's path in the movie is that she is a member of the Kree Star Force. Right. Uh and she is amnesiac. She has no memories prior to waking up on the Kree homeworld 6 years ago. Right. And uh, so she's got these powers. She trained to be a member of this military team and she goes around Busting scrolls. She even had a, a blood transfusion, so her blood is green. Yeah, exactly. The whole the whole shebang. The whole shebang, and uh, so she's kind of this blank slate. She's only got a few memories, right? And I thought that Brie Larson played that really well. I did too, and and I think they played on her personality very well, also. Not just Brie Larson's take on Carol Danvers, but like the Carol Danvers that I know in the comics. Carol is not always the most likable person. She is a no, boss. And memory she, problems are a long standing yes. part of her backstory. And she handles business and she doesn't fuck around. And a lot of people are completely intimidated by Carol. And that is who she is. And I'm okay with that. Me too. But she also had a sense of humor. She yes. wasn't quipping, but no. she had like a dry sense of humor. She right. had fun. And I don't need a female Tony Stark to come in. I no, like that. And I wouldn't have liked that. No. I like that this Carol is a military person with a military upbringing and she is a badass and she had her mind wiped and she went to become a Cree warrior and she was a badass there and she fought with other Cree badasses. Right. Now, I think the biggest criticism of the movie is what happens with the Skrulls. Okay. And even I... When it happened, part of me went, oh, no, the scrolls are bad. Because there is a a plot thread that comes through the movie where we see the Kree going after the scrolls, and the scrolls are a menace, and the scrolls can transform and look like anyone, and they're invading, and they're infesting, and Carol's on like a scroll kill crew, basically, with these Krees because she thinks they're bad. And through the movie and learning who she is, and learning what she was doing with her time on Earth and whatnot, we find out that she is, in fact, a human, not a Kree. Right. And she was contacted by a Kree that wanted to end the war between the Skrulls and the Kree because the Kree were basically hunting the Skrulls to extinction. Yeah, at exactly. This point. Um, so that gets us to the n- next big twist in the movie uh, the fact that uh, the Supreme Intelligence, who is played by Annette Benning, uh, the supreme intelligence in this movie takes the form of whomever you most admire, right? Or whoever means the most to you. Because, but they also mention that's not what it looks like, right? But it's you how your brain interprets. You it. don't deserve to see it the way that it looks. Right. Like in my heart of hearts, it's a it's a jellyfish in a jar. Yeah, yeah with a bunch yeah. of eye squid. Yeah, like, right. Head yeah, thing. of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, 
so Annette Benning is the form that the intelligence takes for Carol, but Carol doesn't recognize her. She doesn't know why. Right. Uh, as she comes to Earth and starts to gain her memories back, she learns that uh, Annette Benning's character was actually a scientist mm-hmm. who turned out to be a Cree named Marvell. Right. Twist. She's Marvell. Uh, and I thought that was amazing. I did too. I thought it was a great little. That didn't bother me at no, all. No, no. That did not bother me at all. I did. Part of me, when we found out that the scrolls are not the bad guys in this movie, there was part of me that went, oh. I kind of loved it. The scrolls have always been bad guys. I kind of <laughs> loved it. No. And just because this group of scrolls that we saw weren't bad doesn't mean that the others aren't going to be like, and, screw and that. that is a realization that I came to. Right. After we talked about it on Saturday. You could still have bad guy scrolls. Right. Um, I said on cover to cover that uh, whatever theories we had about the scrolls invading the Marvel Universe in the next phase are wrong. Right. And while that might be true, I remembered that the scrolls from Secret Invasion were actually like this crazy religious zealot sect. Right. Of the scrolls. And so they could totally still do that. I mean, I, I don't think they would. I don't know that they are, but I mean, I think you could still have scrolls as villains. Yeah. Is the point. Were you upset the Super Scroll wasn't here? No, there, there will be a time for the Super Scroll. Were you a little upset the Super Scroll wasn't here? No, because in order to have the Super Scroll, you need the Fantastic Four. I know. That's why I wanted the Super <laughs> Scroll. <laughs> uh, in a no, fun, fun I, bit of news that I read today, uh, speaking of the Fantastic Four, real quick, Disney uh, set a date for finalizing the Fox buyout, and it's very soon, like yeah. two weeks from now. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> and that means that they could potentially have something at the end of Endgame. Theoretically. Theoretically. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. And we, yeah, we have a nerd bet with somebody. Oh, it was with Ryan. You and I bet one thing and he bet the other. Yeah. That they would show up. Regardless, we're talking about Captain yeah, yeah, Marvel yeah, yeah, here. Yeah. Uh, I, so. I thought the performances were really great. Samuel I L. Jackson was really great. The, and the way that they de-aged Samuel Jackson for this. You remember when we first Holy saw that crap. de-aging crap? I think it was X-Men 3. X-Men 3 The yeah. Last Stand, where you see a young professor, young Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen right. recruiting Jean Grey. And it looked weird. And it looked weird. Right. This was seamless. Yeah, this was flawless. I could not tell. Not to mention uh, you had, what's his head, Coulson as well. Yeah, Clark Gregg as Agent Coulson. Looked, and he I wish great. he had more to do in the movie, frankly. I kind of did, They too. made kind of a big deal about him being back. I was a little shocked that he was here and they didn't do more with him. Yeah. That seems kind of It was strange. fun to see him, though. No, it was. It was definitely fun. I, I, I loved the friendship that... that uh, kind of blossomed between Carol and Nick and I thought the relationship between Carol and not Monica Maria Maria uh Monica's mom yeah was so great do we get Monica in the next movie as a hero yes I hope so absolutely I hope we get growing up Monica and she's been with Project Pegasus the whole time and she's developed her photon powers or whatever yeah. and she's flying around shooting like light lasers or something I mean that would be awesome that would uh, be totally awesome. I think the MVP of the movie was Ben Mendelsohn. He was wonderful. As Talos, he the re- leader of the group of Skrulls. He really was great. I like. I didn't know what to expect. We never got to see any Skrully stuff happening in any of the trailers. Right. Um, and he was just perfect. And Ben Mendelsohn. Perfect. The casting is so great because Ben Mendelsohn is the kind of guy you're like, well, he's obviously the bad guy. He's right. a bad guy he's and everything heavy. he's yeah, in. Yeah. This is, of course, who you hire him. He is the bad guy. And it turns out... Nah, he's not that bad. No, no. <laughs> he's actually a pretty good guy. But he also acknowledges, like, look, I've done a lot of terrible things in the name of war as well. Sure, yeah, my hands and are bloody. He's a great character to help Carol grow through who she is and become what she becomes in the end. Like, there was some criticism about, like, oh, so she just flies around and kills, like, all these people, and then she stops and says, like, you guys can go. I think she's showing I'm not a soldier anymore. 
Right. I'm a protector. Right. When she learns the truth about the scrolls and the Kree, like I knew that the Krees were going to be shitheads the whole time. Well, the, the Kree, Kree are always assholes. They've been shitheads from day one. Yeah, exactly. So I knew that something was going to happen. Right. Carol was going to reject the Kree. I, I just loved how it all came together. That scene, <laughs> that fight scene where they get to the ship and uh, they find the family and then the Star Force shows up and no doubt kicks on. And she demolishes the entire Kree Star yeah, Force to the tune fun. of I'm Just a Girl. That was fun. Amazing. It was really It was fun. amazing. And I love that. I can't even think of the actor's name. The dude that's in the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy is here. Oh, um, so two characters from Guardians of the Galaxy are here. Ronan, uh, played by Lee Pace. Yeah, Lee Pace shows up as Ronan again, and, and he's great. Korvath, who is the guy that that's finds right. Star-Lord yeah. in the cave. And Still he's like, working who? for the Kree. <laughs> right. Uh, played by uh, Jaimon Hansu. Yeah. Who's a, a great here? Yeah, All, everybody in this was fantastic. Jude Law, yeah, fantastic in his role. Yep, you really liked him, and and, like, and you understand as well. Like they fleshed out, even though they flipped the good and the bad side halfway through the movie, they still fleshed out why everyone was doing what they were doing. Right, and you understood their motives. There was no mustache twiddling. It made a lot of sense, and it made the characters grow. Not just Brie Larson. Yeah, not just the Cree characters, but it, you also got to see Samuel Jackson as a younger, more carefree, hip swinging shield. Yeah, agent. he wasn't like burdened by years of leadership. No. He was kind of more lighthearted, but and I really enjoyed that. As this movie carries through, as the storyline carries through, and he realizes the weight of what's going on, you yeah. can see exactly why he ends up paranoid, terrified, hardcore Nick Fury. Because sure. he realizes there's a whole universe of crap out there. That wants to come for the earth, and we literally have no way to stop it. Right. And there is nothing we can do. Right. And I thought that that was more that we have learned about the character of Nick Fury in this movie than all of the rest of the Marvel movies combined. And it's not just because he had, a, had, he had more of a part in it. Sure. It, we got to see that character grow, and it was great. The most, we, the most we learned about Nick Fury came from Winter Soldier. You're right. Where he tells Bucky, the last time I trusted somebody, I lost an eye. Right. And in this movie, we found out what happened. Yeah, we get to see. And, uh, it, was, and it was adorable. Don't say why. I, I don't think so, <laughs> don't no. It, no. Was, it was really great. <laughs> At first, I was like, oh, I don't know. But I, the more I thought about it, the more I loved it. So the post credit scene, did you think we were going to get that much of a connection to Endgame? I, I did not. I did. I kind of did. I knew they were going to do something. I, I figured it would be in the present day. I didn't think um, it would be that. I didn't know. Everybody's here. So post credit scene is uh, it, they are at Avengers, uh, the Avengers compound, and they have found Nick Fury's intergalactic pager. Right. And it's been broadcasting the signal for however long they say, and it finally runs out of juice and stops. And that is when Carol shows up. And she says, where's Fury? Right. And that's the end. I did, I did not think they would connect it that directly. I thought it would either be she shows up at the to the Avengers or she's somewhere off in space sure. and here's the signal. On her way or yeah, something. Yeah, right. Because they did a really great job of not showing her at all in any no, of the previews for Endgame. No, and I think there have been a, there's been a lot of writing about how they probably like digitally erased her or filmed, or filmed scenes that are purposefully misleading, like... Oh, the Russo's already said they did In the Infinity War trailer, there is a scene at the very end where the Wakandan army and the Avengers are charging at Thanos' Black Order, and the Hulk is there. The Hulk is not in that scene in the movie at all. The Russo's came right out and said, 
we put stuff in the trailers that are not in the movie. Yeah, right. Just to mess with you. So, uh, yeah. They, they also lied about oh, sure. so much Absolutely. crap. Absolutely. I was like, well, they said at this point. Don't time, trust the Russos. No, man. They, <laughs> what, are you going to sue them? No. <laughs> yeah, they're making they're making the biggest movies on the planet. Right. They cannot be trusted with the truth. <laughs> right. Um, but, yeah, so either they took her out of the trailers or, or they just filmed other stuff and, and left her out. But, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to get her from the jump when yeah. Endgame hits. Uh, it looks like she has not aged, which could be cosmic powers. Yeah. Could be you're in space. Time works different. I don't know. Yeah. I oh, mean, that's the big thing. Uh, this movie connects. Did you want her to show up with a beard or something? No. no. <laughs> yes. A huge, long, like Tom Hanks and castaway beard. She's been in space. Where's she going to find a mirror to shave? 90. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this movie connects with the rest of the franchise. Uh, in a pretty great way, you find out that the device that Marvel is working on is a light speed engine, which doesn't seem all that great when you've got like ships that can jump through hyperspace. Okay, was it actually? She said a light speed engine in the movie. Is what or they call it. Were they? Was she distracting it, just like calling it something when it was? actually a way to harness the power of the cosmic cube or the tesseract. Well, that's what we find out that the engine is powered by the tesseract, right? Uh, which we knew was in shields position, uh, possession following mm -hmm. the events of captain America, the first, uh, the first Avenger. Right. Uh, and, and when that device explodes, it bathes Carol in the radiation from the tesseract. And that's how she becomes captain Marvel. Yeah. Uh, and another little connection that I loved is that at the end of the movie, uh, Nick Fury gives his speech about needing heroes. We're unprotected. We need to find people to help yeah. us when this happens again. He's typing up his, he's like hunting and pecking, typing up his little manifesto to present to his bosses. And it's called the Protector Initiative. Right. And then he looks at the photo of Carol climbing into her plane and he sees that her call sign is Avenger. And he changes it to the Avengers Initiative, which I thought was amazing. Yeah. It was, I loved it. No, it was great. I had, a, I had a lot of fun with this. I think it was a nice breath before we go to Endgame. Right. And the same way they did, like, with Ant-Man Ant and the Wasp after the first Avengers. Yeah, yeah. We got a character piece that sort of, like, set some stuff up. It wasn't too heavy weighing on anything else that's going on in the greater Marvel U. It introduced her very well. It, it stayed connected very well mm -hmm. to the timeline. I thought this was excellent. And it's, you know, it, you, you might be able to criticize that it's fairly low stakes, and it is. There's no nobody's destroying the universe well, in right. this we or destroying she's not the earth. Die. This the Kree aren't coming to conquer. They're coming to get what's theirs. This is a character piece, right? Um, and I actually liked how small and intimate it was. Relatively, right. um, her power is off the charts. There's that moment where she becomes where she fully realizes her potential, and it was just like chills. She is Marvel's equivalent of superman yeah she's definitely the most powerful hero in the marvel yeah. universe right now yeah i love this movie or at uh, least from earth anyway well sure yeah i love this movie top to bottom i i can't wait to see it again yeah. i can't wait for Endgame. i'm giving this a huge watch it huge watch it for me as well i don't i don't get the criticisms i under like people are saying well, it was just average it was just average i I didn't feel anything average about this. I thought no. this was right on par with some of the best stuff I've seen from Marvel. And it was over I two. It. it was just over two hours, and it breezed by. Yeah, it was fast paced. I, I was riveted from start to finish. Matt, we're gonna do this again in just a few weeks. I know when Shazam comes out. Oh my god, April fourth. Jesus, I'm and then ready. we got Endgame right after that. Right? Endgame at the end of that month, and then Spider Man right after that. I think Spider Man's not until like June or July, but July. Uh, yeah, it's July fourth weekend. It's coming hot and heavy. I know. Uh, early reviews for Shazam are out, and they are universally positive. Yeah, <laughs> I'm excited. Could be a great summer. All right, tune in for more movie talk in two or three weeks. 
Excelsior. Oh. That is it for teaching 522. The FBI has surrounded the ziggurat, and they're probably going to storm any time now if we go for episode 523. Before the flashbang grenades render us unconscious, Joe Patrick, why don't you ask these nerds a new question of the week? This week's question comes from James Kaplan. What is a comic that you love that most people don't really know or don't particularly care about? Fish Police. Way to ruin it. <laughs> I did not love Fish Police. I've never read it. It's a thing, though. I'm not making that up. No, it's true. If you're new to the show and you can't believe the level of ignorance and sheer podcast ineptitude you have just experienced. I really like Yeah, I know that you, you did not uh, plan everything that happened in this episode when you wrote that, but we definitely displayed it today. Well, I mean, there is a level every time. Yeah, so it's, so it's true. a safe call. So true. <laughs> I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com, but hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like Sean Devlin. I don't even know who that is. Sean Devlin. He's a fan. He's just a stranger that throws money at us? Yeah. The internet's so fucking weird. I know. Sean, there has to be some charity better than this to throw your money at, buddy. Though we are poor. Yeah, we're wretched. You're wretched. That's why we live underground. Before we go, our in, weekly... In the dirt, and the filth. All right, let's get serious. All right, all right. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to King Kong Bundy. As a very young man, Matt Baum watched WrestleMania 2 and found himself terrified for the fate of Hulk Hogan as Bundy entered the steel cage. I legit thought that King Kong Bundy was going to murder Hulk Hogan. <laughs> it was terrifying. Bundy died at home at the age of 62 this past week. He was a mountain of a man that terrified a generation, and he will never be forgotten. Word to you, Mr. Bundy, and thank you for inventing the most brutal finisher of all time, the avalanche. So you were in the corner, and you're like, oh, wounded. And 400-pound King Kong Bundy just, like, ran up, fucking smacked you with his body. Because <laughs> he wasn't a real mobile guy. Sure, yeah. He wasn't going he off was the using, top rope, you know? He was, he was using what his mama gave him. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just take his shirt off and avalanche you. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. Ugh.